0: hi welcome to the inspired painter podcast my name is jessica libor and i am a philadelphia-based artist curator and art professor as well as artist coach in this podcast i cover topics vital to the success of emerging and established artists like inspiration mindset art business relationships and artist career strategy you'll also hear interviews from art world luminaries who share their wisdom My goal for this podcast is for you to feel encouraged, inspired, and in control of your art career, and to help you become the best artist that you can be. Hello, artist friends. I hope you're having a great week. I have a very special episode for you this week. I have an interview with Eric Rhodes to share with you that is super useful. And um, it is all about how to create your breakout year as an artist. And um, Eric has so much wisdom in the art world. And for those of you who don't know who Eric Rhodes is, um, he has been <clears throat> involved in the art world for quite a while. And um, I'm just going to read a couple of his career highlights just so you have an idea of who he is if you haven't yet heard of him. Um, but he is behind the scenes of many of the things that you may be involved in if you are an artist in the realism um, kind of world. <clears throat> but he actually owns Fine Art Connoisseur, the magazine, so he publishes that um, as well as a bunch of other things. So let me get into it. So Eric Rhodes is a career entrepreneur with 30 years of launching companies and media brands, creating startups and building businesses, including 40 years experience in the radio broadcasting field, 25 years in the publishing business and a decade in the art industry. Rhodes served as chairman of the board of Streamline Publishing Incorporated a company he founded in 1986. He also served as a consultant and advisor to companies in media technology, digital media and art. So he was involved in radio for a long time, and then he launched Streamline Publishing, which um, basically, you know, he he created all of these media forms with that. Um, so. Streamline launched its first fine art magazine in 2006 and today publishes Fine Art Connoisseur and Plain Air magazines and multiple websites and e-newsletters. The company also previously published Artist Advocate. Additionally, Streamline produces the annual Plain Air Convention, a gathering of outdoor artists, the Publishers Invitational, and Paint Russia, both events for painters, an annual art cruise, the Plain Air Salon Art Competition, It also publishes OutdoorPainter.com website and the Plain Air Today and Fine Art Today newsletters. It also has a video division, Streamline Art Video, which creates how-to artist videos. And um, yeah, it recently released the best-selling Eric Rhodes Art Marketing Boot Camp video. And um, he is also on the board of the Museum of Broadcast Communications. And he is a columnist for Radio Inc. Fine Art Connoisseur, Plain Air and is an active blogger on media um, for media biz bloggers, as well as Ink Tank, Blue Chip Gallery Marketing, and Artist Marketing. He's an active lecturer and speaker on the subjects of innovation, radio broadcasting, marketing, and art. So, and I will also say he is also the creator of the figurative art convention and expo, or FACE for short, which has been held in, um, Virgin- Williamsburg, Virginia, although they are online this year, I believe. Um, but if you are in the realist world, you probably have heard of Eric Rhodes. And if you haven't, um, you've probably interacted with a lot of his publications because he hosts so many things. He's so involved in the contemporary realism art world that um, you probably have run into a lot of his creations. He is also a painter, a, a wonderful painter, um, really loves Plain Air, really fell in love with it, which he talks about on this podcast as well. So um, he, he does it all, and he is such an amazing um, business person, and I'm just so thrilled that he was able to come on the podcast and share his wisdom with me and with all of you guys. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Eric Rhodes. Well, hello, Eric. I'm so excited to finally meet you. It's so nice to see you.
1: Jessica, it's my pleasure, and congratulations on your beautiful artwork.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And you as well. I've looked at your artwork, and um, I've listened to your podcast in fact, I heard about you through my friend, Nancy B. Miller, who is an avid plain air painter, and we were doing a plain air competition, which I won, by the way, and oh, um, <laughs> thank you, um, and uh, she actually told me about your podcast, and I binged the whole thing in like a week as I was painting, and I was just so impressed by some of the ideas that you had I thought they were so useful and the podcast I'm talking about is the art marketing minute and uh, okay
1: I wondered which one because I have two podcasts
0: yes yes um yeah I discovered the other one after I ran out of episodes for the first one but um yeah I uh I I loved it and I thought it would be so amazing to have you on the podcast so thank you for being here
1: I'm glad to do it always glad to help any artist I can help
0: Yes. And um, tell us, tell the listeners your, your main goal.
1: My main goal.
0: Yes. Eliminate, eliminate the idea of the starving artist, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I did not grow up as an artist and I did not grow up in an art community and, and not even a much of an art background. Mm -hmm. And once I discovered art, I had already established myself in business and had, as an entrepreneur, uh, built a a bunch of different businesses, started some magazines and some other industries. And once I became an artist and I started encountering artists, I realized that uh, most of them did not understand the principles of marketing that I had learned throughout my career Mm -hmm. uh, in the radio and television industry mostly. And it crossed my mind that they needed some help. And and what ended up happening is I was uh, doing the plein air convention. It Mm -hmm. was a brand new convention for us. First year was in Las Vegas. We've done 10, nine, nine since then. And Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out how to goose sales, quite frankly, because it was not going as well as I had hoped. And I announced that I was going to do um, every morning. I was going to do art marketing boot camp at the plein air convention that year, and teach people how to overcome the idea of being a starving artist. And so I, I did. Of course, what ended up happening is, I I ended up doing an art marketing blog. I ended up doing that at every convention. I've done numerous, you know, videos and books and things like that. And as a result. um, you know, it kind of caught on. Uh, And and I think the reason being that, you know, there are very good people out there who teach art marketing for artists, but I don't teach art marketing for artists. I teach marketing. Mm -hmm. And it just happens to be that the marketing principles that I'm employing that I've used throughout my career are being used by artists. And I think the distinction is that uh, sometimes we get a little narrow in our thinking and we think okay well this is the way i need to do things because i'm an artist right but we we tend to you know we tend to sell, tell ourselves well i can't do certain things because i'm an artist mm, yeah. uh, and, and uh, as a result i think it's just best to to try and figure out and understand the basic marketing principles and if you get those down then you can decide what you're going to use and what you're not going to use what's most important though is the idea of matching your personality and your brand. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Because I think that, you know, I when I did art marketing boot camp for the first time,
2: mm-hmm. the first
1: thing that I remember saying, I I think it was, how many people in the room hate car salesmen?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: every hand went up. You know, there probably yeah. was a car salesman in the room, you know. But, <laughs> and I said, how many people in the room sell your artwork? And every hand went up. And I said, how many people in the room feel like selling is a little bit dirty? And mm-hmm. every hand went up. Yeah. And I said, until you can overcome that perception in your life that selling is dirty,
2: mm-hmm. then
1: you will never sell like you, you probably could. And so what I tried to do is make a distinction between the perception of of what we believe the perception perception of selling is mm-hmm. versus brands that are selling all the time that you don't have that perception. Now let me give you
2: right. two
1: different contrasting examples of that, Jessica. One would be um, the you know the used car salesman, which <laughs> we all tend to not like, right, because they're pushy. Uh, the other would be your doctor. And your doctor is, is a salesperson. Whether you like it or not, your doctor is trying to figure out, you know, if you need surgery, how to talk you into having surgery.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so if your doctor says you need surgery, he's prescribing that or she's prescribing that. Mm-hmm. And because of the prescription aspect, you're, you're typically trusting them. Now you might get a second opinion. So there is a wide range between you know, prescriptive selling uh, and various selling methods in between all the way up to the, you know, the pushy car salesman. Right. And the thing you <clears throat> that we have to understand, excuse me, the thing we have to understand as artists is that we are, um, we, we have to be in a selling mode, a mm-hmm. uh, big part of our life, and we have to embrace selling, but we have to use selling this within our own comfort zone, you don't have to become someone you're not or something you're not. You don't have to employ techniques. But you do have to understand that there are people out there who need to be nudged. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be pushed, but they need to be nudged. Or maybe another way of looking at it is that you need to pull them in. Because there are people who will never make a decision in their life. We know people like that. And, (laughs) And yet, if we can help them find something that will be good for them then selling is not a good thing it's actually it's not a bad thing it's actually helping people yes. so, yeah so you know uh, I mean there are people who sell cars that are helping people because you need a new car
0: yeah um, absolutely. But
1: we yeah. just you know we kind of repel that idea so that's kind of where it all started
0: amazing yeah it's just so I like to think of it when I sell a piece of artwork it's like a sacred exchange this is a little more woo-woo but I just think of it as like all my like essence and time and like, you know, a lot of your personality goes into a piece of artwork. And then that person is like, you know, giving you, you know, this, these um, money, which is really just a form of energy that you can take and use to sustain yourself. And so it's really like, to me, it feels like a sacred exchange, but you're absolutely right. Some people need to be nudged. The thing that I hear from a lot of artists is that, well, you know, I'm selling something that people actually don't need. So what would you say to artists who say that?
1: Change your attitude. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I, there, we all have things in our lives that we don't need. We don't need a television set we don't need a, you know, a brand new set of pots and pans, you know, we can, we can go and get a set of pots and pans at Goodwill. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, We can go and get a crummy car. Um, But you know, why does a person why does one person drive a a Yugo? Or I don't know if Yugo is even in business anymore. Or uh, let's say, (laughs) you know, 10 years ago, Kia was kind of a low, low end brand. Now it's much Mm -hmm. better. But Let's use that as an example. Why does one person drive a Kia and another person drives a BMW and another drives a Mercedes and another drives a Bentley? Uh, we we drive things based on what we're trying to say in our lives or maybe our in our own insecurities, uh, in some cases. But you know, I look at a car like a picture frame. You know. I want to be seen in a Bentley. I mean, I don't have a Bentley, but it'd be cool, uh, you know, but I, I want to be seen in something that matches my personality. You know, some people want to be in a sports car. Some people want to be in a Subaru because it's green. Some people want to be in an electric car because it's green, but it, it has a lot to do with matching our our emotions and our personality. Yeah. And the reality is, no, nobody needs, needs art, but almost everybody wants art. And it's because art plays a role in our lives. You know, you were talking about, you know, it was a sacred exchange. You think about it, somebody told me the other day, you know, what, what we're selling them on that, on that canvas, if we're, you know, a painter, or, on you know, with that, that clay, we're interpreting something through our neurological system, our eyes, our brain, it's Mm. going down, you know, triggering our arm and our arm is, you know, taking actions that we have learned how to accomplish. Uh, And so what they're buying is they're buying a little piece of your perception, your neurology. It truly is a spiritual connection.
0: Oh, I love that. That's amazing.
1: and, And so what you have here is, you know, you have to understand why do people want what you have? Nobody needs nobody needs most of the things that we have, you know, there there was a discussion about Steve Jobs, who basically lived in a house with no furniture. You know, he sat on the floor, he had, he had floor mats, I'm sure he had a fabulous house, and he had a fabulous yacht, and so on, but he was a minimalist, and so we don't really need most of what we have, but, uh, you know, these things do things for us. I, I have a friend by the name of Charles White, who is a and a landscape painter. And Charles told me a story of this woman who bought one of his paintings at an art show. And he saw her the following year. And mm-hmm. she said, I just wanted to tell you that I bought this painting because she had known that she had cancer and that she was going to be in bed for a year and going through oh. horrible pain and horrible treatments. Mm-hmm. She said, I had my eyes on that painting every minute I was laying in bed, because that painting meant hope to me. And it brought me to a different place. And it helped me relax. And it helped me kind of give myself hope that I was going to go through this. And she did. And she wanted him to know how much her painting meant to her.
0: Uh, I have a chills. That's amazing.
1: I have a sister-in-law who has a painting I did probably 25 years ago, hanging in the foyer of her house. Mm -hmm. And every person that walks in that comments on that painting is transported to a different place Mm -hmm. and she says that's interesting to watch because everybody says oh I know exactly where that is and none of them are right Mm -hmm. but it's it's a place that has an emotional resonation in their head something that is meaningful to them and so you know as a matter of fact if I were to name the If I were to say, you know, the fields of California, Mm -hmm. uh, that would probably ruin it for some people. But, you know, some people think it's a field in Kansas or another one in Europe or, you know, or something. And it was a tree with a rope swing. So people make emotional connections. Art is an emotional purchase. Now, we have to understand that all purchases are emotional, that uh, we buy by emotion and we rationalize. by non-emotion, right? So we will tell ourselves, uh, you know, I'll give you a great example. So I was in a gallery the other day, I I stumbled into it, I was driving through Vermont, and my friend said, hey, uh, the Amel Ga- Group A Gallery is just up the road. I said, I didn't know it was here. And so we went there, I met with his daughter, and I wanted to buy one of his paintings. And there were very few left, because uh, he's a, you know, a classic from the from another generation. And, and so there was this painting there and I, I fell in love with the painting and I just, I just, it really talked to me and there was something about it. And plus there was a, I hate to admit this, we, none of us want to admit this, but there was a, a little bit of a, a nugget of status in there. It's like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I can beat my chest. I have an Amel Groupie painting. Yeah. And, uh, uh and so, uh, and, and that's how people sometimes think. And so I, I'm thinking, oh, I really need that painting. And then the other part of my brain, you know, you got the angel on one soldier, sol- uh, shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. And the other part of my brain is, yeah, but you can't really spend the money. And yeah, but, you know, how are you going to tell your wife? And, you know, all this stuff. Well, I, you know, those are the things that people go through. But the emotion one, I, you know, ultimately I said, I'll figure those things out. But <laughs> I had those thoughts. And so people have those thoughts when they walk into a gallery, and I think the the thing that is important when you're selling paintings is you want to some paintings will stimulate uh, some individuals into an emotional state, but some paintings uh, that same painting will st- not stimulate some people into that emotional state so uh if if you study um personality types. There are essentially four personality types, and I won't get into them right now, but Mm -hmm. half of the personality types can get there on their own. Half of the personality types would never buy a painting or a car or anything else unless they are kind of nudged because they can't make decisions or maybe, you know, they're they're thinking about money only. and, And so, that's where the sales process comes in. You know, we've all been in galleries and you've seen somebody go in, I'll take that one, that one, that one. And that oh, yeah,
0: one. I love them. That happens.
1: <laughs> yeah, we all do. But we also have people who come in and they're, you know, they're like on the fence. And I had this couple walked in, and I had a, a painting in, in a gallery in Santa Fe and it was a, I had it listed at $12,000 mm-hmm. and it was um, you know, I, I just happened to be there visiting the gallery, and I didn't even tell him I was the artist, I was listening to their discussion.
2: Mm.
1: Oh, honey, I, I really love that we should get it. And he says, Oh, I really love it, too. But it's $12,000. And, yeah. oh, but you know, and, and they were, you know, going back and forth in this dialogue. Because, you know, the money was what was stopping them. Right. And ultimately, they, the, the money won, and they didn't buy it. But, uh, but if, I've since learned if, if I can get the story in their heads, it Mm -hmm. makes a difference. So in my marketing book and in my training and things like that, I always talk about the importance of telling the story. Now, I do think that you can hurt a sale by telling too much of a story.
0: But when I'm out
1: plein air painting, I I was out painting with CW Monday a month ago and and so on the back of the painting, I'm, I'm writing the story for my own memory of, you know, here I was at St. Regis Falls in upstate New York, and, and you know, I was uh, painting next to C.W. Mundy, and, you know, that that's fact. The problem is that fact isn't, doesn't, you can't romanticize or emotionalize fact. Mm-hmm. But if I tell a story for the gallery, I oftentimes, not always, but try to I oftentimes try to write up a story that will help someone kind of sink into yeah. uh, a trance. Now, I'll tell you a little trick that I use. Uh, I do a blog every Sunday morning called Sunday Coffee, and I have a quarter of a million readers. And people, when when they they either love it or they hate it. And when they love it, uh, they tell me. I don't know what it is, but that transports me to another place in another time. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the words that I use, because I always open up with words that, uh, that are visual mm-hmm. rather than factual. So a visual word, for instance, would be um, if, if you close your eyes and I say, imagine the sound of a screen door on an old farmhouse slamming shut, Mm
2: -hmm, right? mm
1: -hmm. You can imagine that right away. And what what I do, yes, and I always use three of those. You'll notice that because once I get beyond three, you're in a hypnotic state.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, so now it's, you know, you've imagined the screen door, you can feel the heat on your face as you walk out onto the creaky floor of the old screen porch. Now, you you know, you're here in the creek. You can feel the warmth. So you're using words that trigger emotions. And then I go into writing my whatever I'm going to talk about. But what it does is it opens up our hearts a little bit. Well, I do yeah. that when, and I teach people how to do that. When we're writing, I'll write a little card for the gallery. I'll try to write something up that says, you know, I was... I was uh, I was out with my kid, and we had been fishing, but I had my paints with me, and I was walking through this this soggy marsh, and uh, I uh, I suddenly looked up, and I could could see the the sunlight beaming through the clouds, mm-hmm. and the light was hitting the the water in just a certain way, and I could see a fisherman over there with a you know the red cap on. And so I quickly got my easel out and I painted that picture. So what it does is it gives them a story. It helps them relate to it. It helps pull them in, right. but also it gives them, and I oftentimes go into more depth than that, but it gives them something to talk about. I yeah. learned when I was a CEO in Silicon Valley, I was the dot-com, one of those dot-com guys in the 90s and early 2000s. And the training I received about that was, Everybody needs a story to tell about the businesses they invest in. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they're at a cocktail party and they wanna be able to say, hey, I just invested in this new internet radio thing and they're gonna change the world because of boom, 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 boom. So when I would go out and do presentations, I'd tell them the story that they were gonna tell to people when they invested, Mm. And because, and and this is the same thing that happens is uh, someone will hang a painting on their wall and they, they're immediately, they're in the gallery, and they're imagining this painting hanging on their wall. And one of the great things you can do, uh, rather than say, hey, are you interested in that painting? You can just say, hey, where are you thinking about hanging it?
0: I do that all the time. And that's usually yeah. when they pit start, they, they, like, they want to touch it, and then they start to think about it as theirs. And that's when you know that you're about to potentially make a sale. That's right. Yeah, they start to get thinking about that. So yeah, I love that storytelling. Not being afraid to tell your story, like in person or you know presenting it with the gallery. I love that. That's so good. and, well, and I, if
1: they're in, if they're telling the story, they're imagining telling the story to their friends. Yeah. So yes. uh, I have a gallery owner friend, uh, and and I have done some consulting for some galleries and help them too. We have a lot of them as advertisers and fine art connoisseur and plein air and and. Uh, what oftentimes will happen is is I talk to galleries and I say, listen, I want you to figure out what is the average price that you want for a painting Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in in your gallery. You know, if you need to sell so many paintings a year, what's the average price of that? And I learned this from the jewelry industry, a friend of mine who consults jewelers. And basically, what they do is if you go into an engagement ring store, they will, you know, you'll see hundreds of rings, but you'll see one that's under a spotlight. And you'll go up and you'll look at that ring. And the tag is kind of twisted. So you can kind of look at it and read the price. And if they want the average price of a diamond ring in their store to be $10,000, that ring under the spotlight will be $30,000. It's three times. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I advise the galleries to do, or it's also works very well in an art show for an artist. And it's not manipulative. I mean, you truly have, if you if you wanted your average price, let's say you want your average price to be $2,000, then you hang a $6,000 bigger $6,000 painting there. Now, some people might buy that $6,000, or it might be a $60,000, But the idea is when they see that they fall in love with that, they go, well, I don't want to spend 6,000, but I I'd spend 2,000 all day long. And so the price contrast helps them make a decision, but it also now all of a sudden I own a $6,000 artist, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and they will tell their friends, you know, this, they won't say they paid $2,000 for it, but they will say, you know, I was in this gallery and this artist had, you know, especially if it's a big number, you know, this artist has paintings for $60,000. They're not telling you they paid 24. Right. But, But that, you know, that kind of contrast makes a big
0: difference. Yeah, it's like a bragging point, totally. Well, um, I know that we had a little structure here for um, what we were going to talk about. So I want to respect your time with that. And um, but before we get into the five ways that you think would really help artists to create a breakout year, um, I just would love to hear from you. um, What are some of the projects that you are excited about in your own life right now that you're involved in?
1: Well, I, I made a commitment a few years ago that I wanted to teach a million artists to paint, and mm-hmm. I want to help artists figure out how to, how to make a living. I don't like the idea of starving artists, as we've talked about. So, mm-hmm. I right now, I'm doing, uh, because of COVID, and, and hopefully after COVID, uh, I'm doing online virtual conferences.
2: Mm-hmm. I have
1: one coming up uh, in, I think, on August 18th. It's a four-day three days plus a beginner day optional beginner day uh, on pastel painting it's called pastel live and on these virtual conferences I get the world's leading artists from from countries all over the world and uh, we teach art and so I have one called pastel live I have one called realism live coming up in November which uh, Jacob Collins is going to be teaching and you know I've got a whole list of people that we're going to announce. Uh, I have another one called Watercolor Live, which we do in January, and then I have another one called Plein Air Live, which we do in March. We have the Plein Air Convention coming up in April. I am taking a group of artists to Russia uh, in mid-September to paint for two weeks in Russia. Okay. Uh, I've got a group of people going to New Zealand in, in March. I have... Um, uh, gosh, I don't know. I I, I have the artist retreat you know, all color week coming up in, in, um, in September, uh, September, late September, up here in the Adirondack. So I, you know, there's a lot going on. But the goal yeah. is to kind of be like Disneyland for artists, I, artists, <laughs> I love that. Most art, most artists I know, want to be better. And so almost every artist who's worth their salt is always trying to improve. So they want to learn. So we have You know, we have Adol Streamline, and Creative Catalyst Art Instruction videos. We have a TV channel now on Roku called Paint Tube. Uh, You can get it on Apple TV, Amazon TV, uh, Amazon Fire, and so on. And so we're trying to teach artists how to paint, we're trying to teach artists how to sell, and we're trying to give artists fun things to do so they can connect with their community. Uh, So we're doing all that. And then as you see here from the, the logo, I do, um, I do art school live every day at 12 noon on social media. It's a live stream on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, um, everything. Wow. You name it. And, and then, and, and we've had audiences about as high as 150,000 people in a day. Uh, wow. So we, you know, we're doing a lot trying to get people excited about learning, you know, the thing that when I learned to paint, I almost gave up several times because I was having big frustration. And then I discovered a guy who uh, who taught me how to do it properly. And he said everybody wants to overcomplicate it. So he came up with a simplified version of teaching and wanted to get me engaged right away. Well, he changed my life, and I'm here today speaking to you because that man got me interested in art, taught me art and made me feel as though I could make some accomplishments. So my big goal is really just teaching people to art, uh, to do art because art changed my life. I, you know, I was just all business and, you know, I wasn't really all that happy when I finally got into this and started helping other artists and seeing how it changes their lives. I and mean, we've, we've literally taught hundreds of thousands of people yeah. how to paint, uh, but I believed I had to have talent. And I believed that, that certain people who could do these things had skill sets that I couldn't learn because those skill sets were, were born into us, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality is that all of us can learn to paint, all yeah. of us can learn to draw. And it's a process that we have to learn. And, and we just have to be willing to understand that mistakes drive the process, mistakes are part of what we need to do to be able to be successful. And we got to stop beating up on ourselves and telling ourselves that uh, I can't do it because I don't have the talent. Well, you can do it. You do have what it takes, and you don't have to have natural talent. Now, some people do, yeah, but yeah. not very many, really. Most of the artists I know are learned.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I remember one of your podcasts actually was all about that, and I thought that that it's so true, and I. Um, I studied for a little bit at the Florence Academy of Art and the Grand Central Atelier, and wow. you know they really—I'm sure you know all about that. I mean, they—the way that they train you is so mathematical and so science-based, and um, you know, so practice-based. People are amazed that you can do that, but then once you get into the nitty gritty, it's like, oh, you know, if you can do a math problem, if you can drive a car, you know, if you can like write a sentence, if you have like basic, um, you know, coordination, you can learn how to draw and you can learn how to draw well. And that's why I always tell my students, even students.
1: people who don't have basic coordination. A lot of people think they don't have it, and they actually do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like like you say, it's it's a recipe. If you can follow a recipe you can learn. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing that all of those sound absolutely amazing. And we're going to put the links to all of those in the show notes. So people can, you know, find out more about that and sign up for those. So that'll be really great. And did you say that you do a live every day?
1: I do five days a week when COVID hit, I felt like I needed to do something because people were freaking out. So a week after the quarantine started, I, I launched a daily show and I did it every day seven days a week for seven months mm. and then I got exhausted so I went to five yeah. days wow. a week And I did it for a year and then my dad died and so I took a couple months off to deal with all that and That's then so I nice. brought I came back again recently so I do it five days a week
0: Amazing.
1: And uh, is And and it's is a lot like of fun and so
0: uh,
1: you just follow me on Instagram at Eric Rhodes or on okay. Facebook at Eric Rhodes and, and or any of our brands, Streamline Art Video, Fine Art Connoisseur, etc. And Realism today mm-hmm. is our big uh, Instagram page. Got a couple hundred thousand followers, and we put it on there, and we put it on Plain Air Mag on Realism on, on uh, Instagram and some other things. So it's out there. You can easily find it. Best way to find it is just go to YouTube, YouTube, and search my name, Eric Rhodes, or to go to search Streamline Art okay. and all the years worth of content are there. Plus we have lots of free samples of the hundreds of videos we produce and things like that.
0: Amazing. I am just in awe. That's amazing. All right. So let's get into the five tips for um, for creating your breakout year as an artist. And I, I wanted to talk about this because I know so many artists feel like they have you know, really dedicated a good portion to their lives learning the craft. They they're they're very good. They're um, technically proficient, um, but they they keep doing the same things, um, and they keep coming up against a wall for like. Um, for their art career, it's it's a sense that they're spinning their wheels. And a lot of artists are frustrated by that, that I've talked to, that like they're not getting the museum shows, they're not getting the interviews, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. They're not to the top level that they see other artists reaching that uh, when they look at objectively the work, it's like the work's not that different. So I would love to hear your thoughts on five ways that artists can create their own breakout year and yeah, anything that you have to suggest?
1: I may have more than five, but let me just say this first. Uh, there was a movie that came out years ago called Field of Dreams. And the theme of it is, if you build it, they will come. <clears throat> it's not true. The, uh, if you can become the world's best painter and never sell a painting.
2: Mm-hmm. I've
1: experienced this. I've interviewed artists who who won't sell paintings, who haven't sold paintings are as good as any artist in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to make, uh, this is something that's really important. You have to make a lifetime commitment to being a marketer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if you're, if, imagine this is if you had a small business, let's say you made, made your own brand of spaghetti. Uh, what would you do with that spaghetti? You manufacture all this spaghetti. What do you do with it to sell it, Jessica?
0: Well, some people keep it in their basement for following the logic here.
1: <laughs> uh, that's right. So the, <laughs> and, and so the point being that if you're, if you have a small business, you know, that you've got to get your spaghetti out the door. You got yeah. to get people to write about it. You got to get people to try it. You got to put it in the stores. You got, you know, whatever you have to have a website, you got to do all that stuff. Well, the first thing you need to understand as an artist and, and this is where, you know, everybody like recoils, but you are a small business. If mm-hmm. if you're selling anything for any amount of money, you're a small business. And so if you're a small business, you need to make a lifetime commitment to marketing. Marketing mm-hmm. will make the difference. I, I don't like saying this. Um, and there are artists throughout history that were brilliant marketers that were crummy artists mm-hmm. who got famous. Yep. And, and there are brilliant artists who never got noticed who are better than Rembrandt. So, you know, you've got to understand that good marketing, uh, good marketing can sell a bad painter, but good marketing can also sell a good painter. Mm-hmm. And so you have to embrace marketing. <clears throat> marketing is, you have to ask yourself, how long am I going to be a painter selling my artwork or trying to get my artwork in museums? And if the answer is for the rest of my life, then you have to say, I'm making a lifetime commitment to marketing. You see, the way that marketing works is uh, when you're using it, when you're putting the gas pedal on, the, gar- the car runs, right? But right. the minute exactly. you take the gas pedal off, the car will drift and then it'll eventually slow down on its own. Well, marketing works exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. If If you have the gas pedal on all the time, you're gonna get faster and faster and grow and you're gonna get to where you wanna be faster. But if you take your pedal off the gas once in a while, your marketing is gonna stop and you assume that you're gonna operate on momentum. And you do because you take the gas off the car drifts, but eventually it stops. And so if you don't want the car to stop, you gotta put the gas on again. And what happens is that artists pour the gas on, then they stop and their sales go down, then they pour the gas on and they stop, their sales go down or they don't ever put any gas on. So first is a lifetime commitment. The second thing, this is very, very important. And artists, again, most of us don't want to hear this because we're artists, you know, we want to be creative. Mm-hmm. But we we have to understand that we have to develop muscles in different areas. If I'm an artist, I have to develop certain muscles, I have to develop a framing muscle, right? I need to know about frames, I need to get it good at frames, I need to know how to put frames together. Yeah. I have to develop an accounting muscle. I need to know how to write checks, how to balance my checkbook, how to, you know, do that kind of thing. Well, you need marketing muscles. And if you take 20% of your time, I guarantee you, guarantee you that you will double your sales in one year just by taking 20% of your time on marketing. That means if you paint 5 days a week, if you take one of those days and devote that to marketing, Mm -hmm. you will soar just 20%. Now, if you in the earlier stages, if you really want to soar big, if you take two days or three days, and really focus on that focus on learning, reading, studying, and and because you got to know what to do, you can't just take the time off and not do something. But if you apply action, you will see a big result. The next thing is, you need to define your goals and build a plan. Now, Mm -hmm. Um, I met with an artist, I won't use the name right now, but he's a very famous artist. And his paintings sell for $250,000 each. And I said, how did you get your prices to $250,000? He says, I don't know, ask my wife. So I asked his wife, she was sitting right there. And she said, well, I just figured how I, I said, how many paintings does he do in a year? And in this case, he does three or four. And I realized how much money we needed For our life and for our house and for our kids and all that stuff. And I took that number and I divided it by four paintings sold, four sold paintings. And that's how I determined my pricing. And so she said, We set a goal. We set a goal that we are going to sell four paintings a year at $250,000 a painting. And everything we do, everything he does is painting those four paintings and making them as good as. They can be, but everything I do is his manager, everything I do is focused on how do I reach those goals? How do I get him in the right shows? How do I get the right advertising? How do I get it exposed? And so that's what that defining of goals will do is if you build a plan, now you have to be reasonable and you can't just necessarily say, well, today I'm making $5,000 a year and I wanna make a million dollars in a year. That's probably not practical. It's good to think big, but it's also good to think practical. So if you yeah. were to really push yourself from five thousand, how could you get to twenty thousand? That's a big leap. And then yeah. from yeah. twenty thousand, how could you get from that year to forty thousand and then the next year, how could you get from forty to sixty? So if you build a plan and you need to know how many paintings you're going to sell, and that's different from how many you're gonna produce because let's say, you sell one of every two that you produce, then you've got a 50% sell through. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know that, know your data and define your goals and make a plan. So strategy always comes before tactic. And that's a strategy. You see, most people say, well, I'll buy an ad and see what happens. And then they're throwing their money away. But Mm -hmm. if you know that uh, I I have to sell 10 paintings this month, no matter what, it changes your mindset. So I... I used to be in in sales, ad sales, and I knew that I had to hit a certain goal every month. And so um, if if I'm down to like the last day of the month and I know I have uh, two more ads that I have to sell to meet my goal, I'll stay till midnight every night and do whatever I have to do to do that. And if you have that mindset of, hey, I committed to selling 10 paintings, I'm not letting myself off the hook. I'm going to work really hard till I get those 10 paintings sold, however I have to do it. Now, rather than waiting to the end, you do it in the beginning. You know, I always try to hit my goals early in the month because then I can coast a little bit and I can breathe and, you know, maybe I'll sell a little bit more and then I'll grow a little bit more. So define your goals. Next is to know that your ABLs. Now, we all know our ABCs, but we don't know our ABLs.
0: Yeah. What's And, that? and your,
1: a, your ABL is always build lists, always build lists. Mm, see, uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, as an artist, uh, anytime anyone expresses work in your art, you need to ask if you can add them to your mail list. And you can, you can say it in creative ways. You need to have a way on your website that they can join your mail list. But you don't want to present it as your mail list. You want to present it as something that is giving, it's giving them value. Like, uh, you know, you could have a thing pop up on your website. Like I have a thing, uh, I have a thing called 97 Amazing Painting Secrets. And it's a five-hour video that I give anybody who wants it for free uh, by going to 97amazingsecrets.com. And when they go there, they're getting something of value, but I'm getting their name. And with their name, then I have the permission to at least offer things to them. It might be your newsletter or something else. You see, I'm in the media business. I sell media. I have Fine Art Connoisseur Magazine, Air Magazine, and four newsletters. And uh, so I have my own media. You have to pay me to use my own media, to, mm-hmm. my, to use my media, but you need your own media. Yeah. Now, I'm okay if you want to pay me to buy an ad from me or buy 50 ads from me. But if you have your own list, now you have your own media, because now you can send them your newsletter, you can send them new painting announcements, you can send them things that are going to be helping boost you. And just by doing that, you'll see a big lift. Mm-hmm. The next thing is uh, no, well, it's when it, use your own media whenever possible. Now, again, I sell media. Uh, my salespeople probably would like me not saying this, and and we sell a lot of ads, and and you need ads. That's different, but you know you need to be building an email list, using that email list, and you need to consider building an old school mail list. Uh, everybody oh, right thanks. now is everybody right now is like, oh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you know, Snapchat, blah 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 blah, and they're all great, and there are ways. That you can use them, and I'm I'm actually working on a new Instagram course for artists. But in the meantime, uh, and and there, you know, you need to be doing a lot of these things. But uh, it used to be that people would sell things through direct mail, and you would get 500 pieces of mail, and you just throw it all away. Now nobody does it, and guess what? You go to the mailbox to get you know your bills, and you get something that stands out because nobody else is using it.
2: Yeah. And, and the
1: other thing is that um, we get spanked, right? All you got to do is make one mistake and Google pulls your account and your email list is gone forever. And mm-hmm. if you at least have, uh, at least have a, a mail list, you at least can send a postcards out about your show or something like that. So that's another thing. The other thing is leverage other media and other influencers to build your list. And so that is collaborating with, with others. Uh, Mm -hmm. you have friends who are artists who you should use them to tell them about you and you should help them with their business Mm -hmm. Um, the next thing is what I call sledgehammer through walls
0: oh I like that
1: and uh, if if you could imagine you know you're trying to take down a wall and you take a sledgehammer and the end of the sledgehammer is this big first off let's try it with a regular hammer the regular hammer has the end is this big and you hit that wall, and you make a hole that big. And you hit it again, you make a hole that big, and you hit that wall again. And you, you know, So you got to do a lot of hits. You get a bigger sledgehammer, and you hit that wall. It's got more power. It makes the holes bigger, and so on. But to get a wall down, you don't hit it one time. You hit it time and time and time again. One of the things that people don't understand in marketing, and this is all people, not just artists, is that you have to hammer constantly the repetition of a message is important. We think, oh, I ran an ad in Fine Art Connoisseur. Everybody saw it. I'm going to get, you know, hundreds of calls. No, you're not. But but when they see that ad two times, three times, four times, five times, all of a sudden the hole is getting bigger, right? And the sunshine is shining through and shining on you. And so it's about frequency. It's about repetition. You just have to always understand that what whatever you're doing, whether it's emails or direct mails or Instagram or, or, or anything, it's you gotta have repetition. You, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not about putting one thing out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the next thing is knowing how advertising works and does not. Most of us have to do advertising. I buy a lot of advertising for my business in a lot of places. I also have my own advertising mediums, but knowing how to get it right. See, most people get it wrong because I mentioned, you know, we we get seduced by uh, things that we think logically make a lot of sense. So I got contacted by this um, this company. It was, I can't say the name, but it was a, a magazine for a major auction house and they wanted me to buy ads. And they said, hey, you know, we have 180,000 people on our list and they're all art buyers why don't you run your ad in there? And I said, well, that's a great idea. How much is it? And it was $18,000. Oh my! I said, said, okay, I'll do it. And so I went to my uh, CFO in my company and or my CCO. And I said, I'm going to do this. He said, Eric, don't do it. I said, why? He says, because you're, you're not practicing what you preach. I said, what do you mean? He said, don't do an ad unless you can get multiple ads because if you can't get that sledgehammer, yeah, you, you can't, it's not going to do you any good. I mm-hmm. said, Oh, I think you're wrong in this case. And I spent the eighteen thousand dollars and I was using it to sell subscriptions. Guess how many subscriptions I sold? One, two, two, <laughs> yeah. So, oh I, I mean, I lost money on that deal, and then of course, he. He mocks me about it all the time since then, but I learned, (laughs) I learned my lesson to listen to my own advice. And and so the the lesson there is that, you know, people in media will always talk to you about how big their audiences are. Mm -hmm. Big is not better. Big is not better. Narrow is less costly, but narrow is usually better. Mm -hmm. Right? So I had somebody today say to me, to uh, sell some of our instruction videos, she said, well, you know, maybe what we ought to do is buy some ads on home and garden television, because a lot of those people probably paint. Well, big audience, but out of that big audience, you know, only this many are going to paint, and it cost me $100,000 to do it. And Mm -hmm. so it's not about big audience, but if I could buy an ad in some place that was all about art, I'd have a better chance, right? So we sell targeted advertising, uh, so fine art connoisseur goes to really, really rich collectors, including about 300 billionaires. And so, you know, our we, you know, some some magazines say, well, we've got 100,000 people. I don't have 100,000 people. I have a lot less than that, but my people buy art. And and so you've got to understand. Uh, first off, big isn't necessarily better. Secondly, frequency is critical. In advertising the sledgehammer thirdly is it takes time Mm -hmm. you know marketing is a process it doesn't happen overnight just like learning to paint right it takes time you have to build you have to build awareness and trust uh you know if you if you go to a cocktail party and which none of us have been to for a couple years uh (laughs) <laughs> and, and you go to a cocktail party and uh, Jessica, you introduce me to your good friend and I have a nice conversation with your good friend. And then um, about two hours later at the cocktail party, I go up to your friend and I say, by the way, um, you know, I, I noticed that I lost my wallet. My car's out of gas. Would you would you lend me 50 bucks? Oh, and and that person is going to say, I don't know you. Yeah. I don't trust you. I'm not. I'm sorry. I can't. They may mean well. If I, if on the other hand I went up to you and if I'd known you for a few years, you'd say, "Yeah, Eric, you're good for it. Here's fifty bucks. I'll I'll give you the fifty right. bucks. You pay me back right. tomorrow, right?" And so it's the same way in advertising. People, you know, first off, you're in there against a lot of other ads. People are flipping through. They're looking at things, and they they see your ad and they might they might notice it. They might not. But there's a little check mark in their head. Ah, okay. There's Jessica's painting.
0: Builds trust. Now
1: now the next thing is I don't really know who this person is. So the next time I see the addicts, Oh, I remember seeing her work. Who is it? Oh, it's her name is Jessica check mark. And, Mm -hmm. and so the next time it's like, Oh, I like this person's work. And then the next time it's, Oh, I like this person's work. Maybe I'll own one day. And then next time it's, Oh, you know, I should really get around to that. And then the next time it's like, Oh, you know, I'm going to do it now. And so it's that building of momentum and trust. And then, of course, with advertising, you've always got new people coming in and new people coming out. In my art marketing training, I show an escalator going up and down. Some people are out of the art market. Some people are new in the art market. So there's always new people. So you're always building trust. That's why it's just kind of like you just got to keep doing it. And then the size of ad increases the chance of viewing, but it also speeds success. And it also sends a signal that you're better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody small, I mean, it's kind of the mentality of you drive a Volkswagen and I drive a, you know, a giant Lincoln Continental SUV or something. I mean, bigger in, in, in our minds is sometimes better. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, if you can afford to uh, go for bigger, but don't don't do bigger unless you can do frequency. So I would rather see you do a quarter page ad 10 times or 12 times in a row than do a full page ad two times in a row because frequency always wins over size. But if you can add frequency and size, that's better. Next is uh, social media uh, is a toy for some and it's a powerhouse for others. Most artists are using it as a toy. And what I mean by that, it's hey, look at me, look at what I can do. And most artists' followers are other artists. And if you truly want to turn it into a business tool, then figure out how to get buyers on your on your uh, social media feeds. And then you got to change the mindset of what you're doing. Right? Your social media really should be all about what it is you do. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and I make these mistakes all the time, but you know, if you're posting pictures of your cat, uh, unless that's part of your branding or your, your imagery, it's not going to do you any good. If you're posting pictures of your friends and you're posting pictures of other things, if your audience is collectors, they don't want to see that. Now, what do they want to see? They want to see things that are relative and related to what it is you do. Right. Yes. And and by the way, posting unfinished paintings is oftentimes a bad idea. It's cool. It's fine to do it if you're if you're doing it with fellow artists because it's kind of like here's my progress. But mm-hmm. most people are like doing this all the time. They're not paying attention. They're going fast and they see okay, there's a Jessica painting and it's half finished, but there in their mind it's like, "Gee, it's not a very good painting."
0: Right. Like, yeah. Oh,
1: well, I didn't realize it wasn't done.
0: Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm.
1: you're imaging yourself with with unfinished work. And so again, if you have a, a page you know for yourself and you have a page for your collectors treat them differently the messaging needs to be customized and then uh last but not least there's three legs to a successful campaign there's the target in other words who do i want to reach
2: mm-hmm. you can't
1: reach everybody you can't afford to reach everybody so who is the narrow target that i want to reach who's the person most likely to buy my painting. And the best way to find that out is to find out who has bought your paintings in the past. And then uh, the messaging, and that's both the copy of your ads and your newsletters, your headlines, that's the messaging. And the messaging has to talk about them, not about you, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's about benefit. If you send out a newsletter and it's like, hey, look at me, beat my chest. I'm wonderful. I just got this award. I just did that. Nobody cares except you. You care, they don't care. So what should a newsletter be? Well, you can put those things in it, but you want to twist it so it has benefit to you. Hey, I just won this award, which means I'm getting more recognition, which means my prices are going to go up, which means your investment in the painting you bought is going to go up, right? That's kind of the mindset. And so when you're sending out newsletters, send out newsletters that have content in them that people want to see and rather than making it all about you start out by making it all about them
2: mm-hmm. uh, in
1: other words what is it something they want to see like you know five tips on on taking care of your paintings and then you can integrate into that newsletter all the other stuff you want to tell them but you've got to get them get them to open that email and get them hooked and then the last part of a successful campaign is that idea of frequency and repetition
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know so you've got a good target you've got a good Good content and then you you have to have that message. You know, most artists send out a newsletter once a month. Why not send out a newsletter once a week? Right, uh, right. Why not take all that content instead of sending it out all in one time? Why not send out one one fourth of it every week so that you have now you have more more frequency?
0: Anyway, yes, those funny.
1: are those are my ideas. If you those do those definitely, things,
0: definitely more than five. So thank you for putting those all together. I appreciate that. Those are amazing ideas. And I just had one thought as you were um, speaking about all this, because most of my um, audience are independent artists. You know, they don't have a team of people working for them. They don't have a huge budget. And so some of them might be overwhelmed, thinking of, you know, uh, spending a lot of money on advertising and stuff. And I just wanted to encourage them. I recently discovered that you can hire people like, um, you know, a virtual assistant or something to do all of that very tedious work, like outreaches to galleries, outreaches to like potential business contacts. If you write, um, you know, like a sample letter and, you know, a proposal that they can attach, and then you give your, um, you know, somebody who's an assistant to you, um, you know, if you give them all that and then they are the ones sending it out, you know, you can pay them like, you know, a. know a a a fair hourly wage and then that's like your whole weekend you don't have to be working on all that stuff and most artists procrastinate doing it because they don't like doing all that stuff so Uh, yeah
1: well i I would say this that um when i was a kid if i needed money i'd go knock on doors Mm -hmm. and ask them if they needed their lawn mode Mm -hmm. and i think it's very similar you know the the i the idea of even a virtual assistant which is a good idea is overwhelming to some of us because some of us don't have that extra 10 or 12 or 15 dollars to pay somebody for an hour of work uh, because you know we all are at a starting point and so if you take the mentality of don't try to overwhelm yourself with all this stuff that i'm talking about or all the stuff in my book just try to figure out one thing that you can do that you can do for free that will make a benefit to you and and consider it of right so let's like mowing the grass right so i will you know when i was a kid i needed money i'd go mow grass and i'd take you know if i got seven bucks which was about what i got then i'd take one dollar to buy myself some more gas Mm -hmm. and then i had five dollars left over now if you if you take that attitude, and you say, Okay, I need the $1 to, you know, it's not going to be $1 anymore. But the idea of I need, I need to buy myself some gas. So I'm going to take a little of that money from the sale of a next painting. And I'm going to put that in an account that I never touch. And I'm going to call that my marketing uh, account. Yes. And I take, you know, another dollar, and i that's going to be for my virtual assistant or whatever. But if, if you just build your email list, and mm-hmm. you do nothing else but build an email list and ask permission to send them an email. And if you send enough emails, I have a whole program that I wrote called Art Marketing in a Box. It's designed to help artists become really strong, yeah. uh, prominent artists in their local community. I had a lady used it last year, and she went from 50000 in sales to 100000 in one year using wow. the program. And, and you don't need to buy it. I'll tell you right now what it is. And that is she, uh, I, she sent a postcard to people twice a month and she sent an email to people twice a month. Mm -hmm. And you know, what we had in the postcard and email that we wrote for is what matters. But you, you, if you just send something, you know, communicate with your list, be honest with them, try to try to do things that get attention so that they'll open it. But you know, if you're sending out something that says, "I saw an artist the other day," said my my latest newsletter. That was the subject line. I'm like, delete. But if <laughs> yeah. if that had if that had said, <clears throat> "How to make your uh, how to make your art collection more valuable," I would have opened.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: think in terms. Think in terms of what they're thinking, and that's why you got to know your audience.
0: Yes, amazing. So yes, your final tip is don't get. Uh, Don't get overwhelmed, really focus on your email list. And I absolutely agree with you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Eric. This was an absolute pleasure and I've learned so much and I'm sure a lot of the artists listening have as well. And um, yeah, uh, we will put all of your links in the show notes for your website, um, your courses, your Instagram, all that good stuff. And um, I so appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. I I love your work and uh, you're going places.
0: Thank you so much, Eric. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Jessica.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Inspired Painter podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate you leaving a five-star review with your experience. This helps other people discover the podcast who might be encouraged by it as well. And if you are interested in booking a coaching call with me to create a plan for your art career and overcome limits that may be holding you back, please visit the link in the show notes or send me a DM on Instagram at Jessica Libor Studio. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, stay inspired.